what was so special about Abraham that he was a friend of God? He believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. How many here have believed God and have been credited with righteousness? So why wouldn't you be his friend also? Now, now mind you, it's not a, a friendship where I can do anything I want. It is a friendship that I get to walk with him. He walks with me. So, well, welcome to those of you that are on Facebook Live tonight. Uh, we find ourselves in Acts chapter 16. Uh, establishing community with little background. I actually had to go in and uh, ask Pastor, uh, you're the one that came up with the title. What did you mean? <laughs> uh, if, I, if I'm going to teach it, it'd be nice to know what you were thinking when you came up with the title. So um, uh, we, we'll explain that as we go along. But uh, let's start with a word of prayer, and then we will read it section by section as we go through it. Father, as we come this evening, we do thank you. Uh, you have been so good to us in so many ways. Uh, we thank you that we belong to you. You belong to us. That Jesus truly is our friend uh, because of the work that he has done on our behalf. And uh, as we learn to walk with you, we thank you for developing patience and for changing us from the heart outward. And we would ask, Lord, that you might continue to enlighten our eyes, both as we study tonight, as well as we continue to walk with you, that we might uh, truly be light shining in the midst of a dark and perverse generation for your honor and glory. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Okay, let's start by reading verses 1 through 5. Follow along as I read. And then he went on to Derbe and Lystra, where there was a disciple named Timothy, the son of a believing Jewish woman, but his father was a Greek. The brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke highly of him. Paul wanted Timothy to go with him. So he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, since they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled through the towns, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem for them to observe. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. So uh, number one here, we see uh, the players. Uh, letter A, removing possible stumbling blocks. Uh, notice we have an introduction of, uh, to Timothy. He's the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed his father was Greek and yet he was well spoken of by the brethren. So the church that they had where Timothy lived, everyone knew him. They saw him as a young man that was coming up in the faith, and he was a good guy. Um, number two, with discipleship and ministry in mind. Now, excuse me if I keep on inserting this concept of discipleship. I am seeing the importance of it, and uh, I'm seeing where... We really need to catch that that's what God has called us to do. If it's a younger believer in the Lord, we want to bring them along to maturity. If it's someone that's not saved, we want to bring them to the place where they might come to know the Lord. Um, if there's someone further along in the Lord than you and uh, you're not exactly sure how to handle life sometimes, well, go and talk to them because that's what they're there for. Uh, so with discipleship and ministry in mind. Now, ministry is, hmm, pastor has a fantastic definition, and guess where it is? 
It's on his computer. <laughs> uh, but ministry is basically where you are doing something for someone else for the purpose of pleasing God. Okay? Uh, when we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where it talks about um, Paul has uh, laid the foundation, and you need to be careful how you build on the foundation of Christ. You can do it with wood, hay, stubble, gold, silver, precious stone. Uh, a lot of people think that that is talking to people that are in ministry, as in pastors, missionaries. I, I'm sorry, I just can't go there with them. Because uh, Sheila's ministry is, she's a school teacher. Okay? Uh, Mike's ministry is, he, he administrates uh, some of the cleaning around here. Okay? Uh, Dave's ministry, he, he works with engines, motors. I don't know, I get the two confused because there's one, one's electric, one's uh, combustion. And he works with the combustion one. Um, but uh, whole, whole point being, you know, you may be a stay-at-home mom, that's your ministry. Okay, you are building on the foundation of Christ as you're serving others for the glory of God. You're not uh, necessarily getting paid for it. You might be getting paid for it, but uh, that's not what it is all about. So when we think uh, about with discipleship and ministry in mind, Paul is looking at Timothy and says, I want to help this guy grow, and we're going to be involved in serving. Okay, so letter A, Paul wanted to have him go on with him, and he circumcised him because of the Jews. Now, if you were to look up 1 Corinthians 9.20, uh, Paul specifically says, uh, to the Jews, I'm a Jew. To the Gentiles, well, I act like a Gentile. H whole point being is he was saying that he needs to be whatever it takes within reason, within the standards of God, okay, uh, to minister to people in their situations so that he can bring them to Christ. So being Jewish, it's easy for him to live like a Jew when he's around the Jewish people. But notice when he goes around the Gentile people, he's not going to continue to live like a Jew as though somehow he's better than them. He's going to live within the confines of uh, conscience and uh, the moral will of God and stuff like that. And most Jews would look at him and say, what's wrong with you? I remember a few years ago, someone wrote a little resume of Paul, and they talked about how many times he had been arrested, beaten, um, hung out with the wrong kind of people, things like that. And it's kind of like, would you hire this man to be your pastor? They, they didn't tell you it was Paul. <laughs> and it's kind of like, of course not. It's kind of like, yeah, well, you, you just turned down Paul. Kind of like, whoa, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Uh, whole point being is we're not living by some kind of standard. We're doing what we can to minister to people where they are, that kind of a thing. So uh, knowing that uh, Timothy is half Jewish, notice the Jews in that region, he recognized we're going to be going to places and ministering to uh, the church, the brethren, as well as witnessing to unbelievers. And this doesn't need to be a stumbling block for them. He's half Jewish. Let him be circumcised. He's, he's supposed to be according to Jewish law, so let him get circumcised. And notice it says, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Well, right off the bat, there's a reason not to want this kid around. But he was circumcised. Oh, he's taking our faith upon himself. 
So uh, that would uh, lower the walls so that he could minister to them. Notice in Galatians 2, 3, it says, Yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. Notice Paul is not concerned with circumcision, as in everybody needs to be circumcised, as much as in Timothy's case, he was half Jewish. That doesn't need to be a stumbling block to minister to Jewish people. Titus is Greek. Nowhere do we see in the Bible where God said all the Greeks need to be circumcised. In fact, that had already been decided on back here in Acts chapter 15. Okay, so again, this is Jerusalem meeting Rome. How do you deal with it? Well, for the Jewish guy, uh, okay. For the Greek guy, no big deal. Let us see. They went through the cities. They delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. And again, remembering Acts chapter 15. Uh, no, you don't have to be circumcised. What we would like you to do is not eat meat with the blood in it. That doesn't mean when you've roasted a piece of meat and it's nice and rare that you can't eat that. No, it's talking about uh, you, you, they slice the throat, they let the blood drain. And then you, oh, excuse me, eat it. Don't eat something that's been strangled, that kind of thing. Uh, don't <clears throat> don't uh, be involved in idolatry uh, and sexual immorality. That was basically what uh, the Jerusalem Council had determined, and Paul is delivering that to all of the Gentile churches so that they would understand they're wanting to make sure they're not causing their Jewish brethren to stumble, and these are certain things that might uh, keep them in good standing with God. Letter D. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and increased in number uh, daily. Now, notice uh, I have highlighted here, they delivered unto them the decrees to keep and in the faith. Uh, what is uh, the pastor supposed to uh, teach? That which is part of the faith. And of course, it's always going to come back to the Word of God. When it came to a uh, a disputable item, when the church had made a decision on how we want to handle this situation, they brought that forth. But again, it was for the better of the all, not just the one group, uh, that kind of a thing. So uh, they were strengthened in the, uh, in the faith, and as that happened, uh, they lived it, and others came to know Christ because of it. So that brings us to letter B. When God says no, does he have something better? You know, a lot of people sit there and say, well, when God closes the door, he opens a window. Sometimes. Sometimes he closes the door because you're not supposed to be going in there. Now, just cut it out. <laughs> okay? Uh, but uh, let's look at this passage here. Uh, let me see. This is uh, verses 6 uh, through 15. So follow along as I read. Uh, they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia and were prevented by the Holy Spirit from speaking the message in Asia. When they came to Mycenae, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So bypassing Mycenae, they came down to Troas. During the night, a vision appeared to Paul. A Macedonian man was standing and pleading with him, cross over to Macedonia and help us. After he had seen the vision, uh, we immediately made effort to set out for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to evangelize them. Then, setting sail from Troas, uh, we, we ran a straight course to uh, Samothrace uh, the next day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, a Roman colony 
which is a leading city of that district of Macedonia. We stayed in that city for a number of days. On the Sabbath day, we went out outside uh, the city uh, gate by the river where we thought there was a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to the women gathered there. A woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple, clothed from the uh, purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was wor- uh, worshipped God, was listening. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was spoken by Paul. After she uh, and her household were baptized, she urged us, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. So uh, when God says no, does he have something better? First of all, God's saying no, the where and uh, verses 6 to 8 and what happened in verses 6 to 7. Now, the reason why I put the pictures of the maps in here is uh, I, I will uh, hold this up and have my finger someplace where you can't see, but you can look at your map, okay? So they had come up uh, through Phrygia right there in the middle in Galatia, and they had apparently come around here to Mycia, and they wanted to go into Bithynia, this uh, state up here, but the Holy Spirit stopped them, and it says in two verses that the Holy Spirit basically said, nope, you're not going in there. I don't want you up in this area. Now, it's not that ultimately the gospel wasn't going to get there. God had something else for them to do, and they could have easily gotten in there and gotten bogged down with all the work that might have uh, been there, or who knows what else may have happened. It says that they went south to Troas. Now, along the side here, between Mycia and Lydia, there's a little island there, and Troas is just above that island or, or just inside that island uh, on the land there. <coughs> and that's where, of course, uh, Paul has his vision. Uh, we call it the, uh, uh, the Macedonian call on the top of the next page or on the top of the back page there. Opening other doors, the Macedonian call in verse 9. And then, of course, uh, how did they respond to the dream, the vision? I, I don't know about you, but I have some weird dreams from time to time. I remember them. Uh, I have been in underwater situations with sharks and killer whales, and I've been in my house with lions, and I haven't appreciated any of them, okay? I don't know what God's trying to tell me. Uh, probably nothing. It was uh, Mexican food I ate or whatever the case may be. But uh, in this particular case, Paul recognizes it's a vision and that, uh, well, apparently God's calling us to go over to Philippi. So brings you to the second map. These notes are worth $5 compared to the normal two. And if I had put them in color, they'd have been worth $7.50. So uh, you'll notice Ephesus over here. Well, a little bit north of that, you got that little island where Troas would have been. And then north of that, you have Philippi over here in Greece. So again, just wanted you to see where they were and where they ultimately were going to be going. So in verses 10 through 12, we have immediate uh, obedience. He's had the vision at night. The next morning, they're booking the train or the boat uh, to get over there to Philippi. And uh, when they arrive, they're there for a couple of days, and then there's a Sabbath. Now, what was Paul's normal pattern on the Sabbath? Go to the synagogue. Well, in this particular case, uh, notice the notes here. Paul's norm was to visit the synagogue uh, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Uh, But in order to have a synagogue, you have to have at least 10 men. Well, in Philippi, 
There may have been some Jewish people, but there wasn't 10 men because there was no synagogue. So Paul hears about a place outside of the city along the river where prayer was customarily made. Okay? Uh, So he sits down and he speaks to the women who met there. And in the process, he ends up meeting a lady named Lydia. We see that she is a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira. uh, But she worshiped God. Now, she worshiped God and yet... We're going to see a couple of verses from here. She's going to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the reason why I bring that out is because <coughs> this is not the first time we've seen a Gentile that worships God but doesn't have the complete story. Okay? Notice in each case, Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, Lydia here, they need the complete story. Now, why is that important? Because you're going to have neighbors, friends, family members that may have a real belief in God. They need to be believing the gospel. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Um, And for those who have Catholic family members, this is where it becomes a little bit more difficult because the reality is, is Catholics probably would tell you or agree with you on almost every point of the gospel. But what are they trusting in to get them to heaven? If they're following Catholic doctrine, okay, and and we want to put that stipulation in there, do I believe all Catholics are going to hell? No. Uh, Some Catholics get saved, and for whatever reason, they stay in the Catholic Church. They're hoping to see some change from inside. Uh, Usually none happens. Plus, the way the Catholic uh, Church has done things throughout the years, they get those kids very, very young, and and they've ingrained Catholicism into them so that if they do get saved, they have a tendency to, well, I I like this, I'm used to this, and this is beautiful, and that's nice, okay? Um, So sometimes it's hard for Catholic people to get saved to break away from the church. So don't throw them all out with the bathwater, okay? But the average Catholic, if they're believing Catholic doctrine, they have to accumulate enough grace points. You remember last week, Pastor was talking about the sacraments, where the sacra- if you took the, the bread and the wine, <coughs> sorry about that, it, it, uh, it did something as far as giving you grace. And you needed to receive enough grace in order to get past purgatory, get into heaven. And if you didn't receive enough grace, well, then you got to go and burn off some of your sins for a little while. And then hopefully, uh, you know, that kind of thing. But yeah, it is a works-oriented religion. They may worship God. They may believe in Jesus Christ. They may know that he died on the cross and rose again, even though he's still there. <laughs> you know. But they need to trust in what he did was sufficient to put them in the right standing with God, not in what they're doing or can do. Uh, so in this particular case, Lydia worshiped God. But then notice, the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. So she's receiving the truth of the gospel at that point. And then she and her household were baptized. Now, uh, this is not the first time where one person uh, gets saved and the whole uh, family believes or that kind of thing. 
if she's truly a worshiper of God before her salvation, what, what influence, what effect might she have already had on her family? What's that? Yeah, most likely she's bringing the kids to wherever, you know, and they're learning about it. Uh, hopefully they're, they're learning about it for the sake of learning about it, not just for the sake of, you know, we had to go with mom again, you know, that kind of thing. But she's had at least enough influence that when she finally finds out the truth, apparently they're with her or she's uh, gotten their attention and told them about it and two and two clicks and boy, you got four. And so she gets baptized, her family gets baptized, and then, of course, notice uh, she puts them up for the night in verse 15. If you consider me a believer, you know, here you are in a strange town, uh, we can take care of uh, some hospitality, if you will. She takes care of that. So that brings us to letter C, Paul's welcome to the city. Now, he's already been there a few days, but thus far, this is the first interaction we've seen with people. And now we're going to get to see a little bit more interaction. So starting in verse 16 and going to about 21, it says, Once, as we were on our way to prayer, a slave girl met us who had a spirit of prediction. She made a large profit for her owners by fortune-telling. As she followed Paul and us, she cried out, These men! who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation, are the slaves of the Most High God. And she did this for many days. But Paul was greatly aggravated, and turning to the Spirit said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out right away. When her owners saw that their hope of profit was gone, (laughs) I'm sorry, uh, money, the love of money is the root of all evil. <laughs> okay? Uh, when they saw that uh, their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. Uh, these would have been Karens. Both of these guys, whoever they were, their name is Karen, um, and they stuck their nose where it didn't belong, that kind of thing. Um, brings them before the chief magistrates, and they said, These men are seriously disturbing our city. They are Jews and are promoting customs that are not legal for us as Romans to adopt or practice. Okay, let's take a look at our notes. Uh, Number one, the making of a memory. Now, I thought that was funny. Come on, guys. Stick with me here. The making of a memory. There we go. Thank you. Uh, (laughs) uh, So letter A. Uh, A certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us. She uh, apparently, because of this spirit of divination, she was able to make her owners uh, a bit of money. Problem? She's following Paul and us. Uh, That would be Luke and whoever, Timothy. Uh, And she's crying out. Top of the next page. These men are the servants of the Most High who proclaim to us the way of salvation. Now, I don't know about you, but um, if someone is letting everybody know, hey, these guys are proclaiming the way of salvation, come on, anybody want to know about it? I'm here to tell you. (laughs) Okay, but I would imagine after several days, this does become aggravating. And not only that, but it's almost making a mockery of what they're doing here. And it says she did this for many, many days. So Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit. Now, what's the first thing you see about Paul here? 
Was that? Yeah, he's human. Now, I don't know that he's operating in the flesh here. Uh, again, if this is making a mockery of what they're doing, um, he's finally come to the point where, okay, this has got to stop. Okay? Uh, but we're using terminology that most of us, if we get greatly annoyed with someone and kind of let them know what we really think, uh, we immediately throw that onto the flesh side of things. And chances are, many times, that's what it is. Okay? But I think that we need to understand we are whole human beings. And there does come a point where sometimes you've got to put an end to things. Uh, you've got to be careful how you do it. In this particular case, he commands the Spirit to come out of her, and he did. Now, um, before you think this is something we ought to do on Sunday mornings, <laughs> uh, I, I have uh, done a bit of reading and... Uh, gone through some training tapes with a particular mission agency that uh, deals with tribal-type ministries, and therefore you're not in a place where there's a lot of light. And the concept of what we call demon possession and stuff like that is not uncommon in these places. I remember one missionary that uh, we met that was down in Suriname, northern part of uh, South America. He was uh, in a particular tribe, the uh, medicine man of that tribe did not appreciate his presence, and he was starting to make some headway. Um, and the medicine man called in the regional witch doctor, and the regional witch doctor came in, and they had a big to do. Everybody's gathered together, and uh, they broke some glass, and he uh, danced on it, and they had some hot, fiery coals, and he walked on the coals, and nothing happened to him. And the people were actually saying in their language, look, the demon is on the witch doctor. The demon is on the witch doctor. At which point this Baptist, very legalistic Baptist-type missionary, started praying. And he just believed that God was telling him, well, then go and do it yourself. So he went down there, took off his shoes, and he danced on the glass. And he goes, you know, the first time I jumped up and down on that glass, can I tell you, I jumped very, very gently. But as nothing was happening, I continued to jump. And then I walked on the coals. And I can tell you, it was hot. The next, uh, the people were starting to announce that the, uh, the demon was on the missionary. And um, so everything got closed down for the night. He went back to his uh, cabin. And the next morning he woke up and he said, my feet still hurt. And, uh, he goes, but I didn't look at him because they were knocking at my door. I said, hey, uh, Mr. Missionary, we want to see uh, what your feet look like. So he went out and showed them to him, and no burns, no cuts. Now, that's a legalistic Baptist-type missionary. They don't believe in those kinds of things, okay? Miracles were for back when. Doesn't mean that God doesn't do things in this day and age, but again, circumstances, it was God's will to do it because he wanted to reach those people uh, with the gospel. There's the guy to do it. And so it ends up happening. This wasn't a charismatic guy or anything like that. And um, the regional witch doctor threatened him and said he'd be dead within two weeks. Within two weeks, the regional witch doctor was dead. So it does happen out there, okay? Uh, we live in a place where there's still lots of light. Even as dark as it's getting, you've got Christian radio I wouldn't put too much weight on the Christian TV, but there's some out there. Um, every now and again, I find something on Prime that, hey, they're actually preaching the gospel, and they've got 
real Hollywood celebrities doing it. And it's kind of like, the first thing I think is, boy, I sure hope they got saved when they were making this movie because now they got the truth, you know. <clears throat> but back in Paul's day, Book of Acts, we're in a period of transition. And within that, uh, signs and wonders, normal stuff, at least for a period of time. So he uh, tells the demon to get out of town, and, and he does. So number three, when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone. A lot of what we see happening in politics today, uh, especially when people get upset. Uh, Elon Musk recently bought um, Twitter, and he's been releasing things that lets everyone know what a lot of people have been saying for the last couple of years is true. Uh, the Biden administration, even before he was elected, was already involved in censoring uh, certain stories. Um, the FBI has been actively involved in censoring. That's called going against the First Amendment, and they're using big, big tech to do it. Uh, What's her name? Uh, Jen Psaki, when she was the press administrator. Oh, yeah, we're talking to big tech companies, and we're trying to take care of that disinformation. In other words, censoring free speech. Uh, so a lot of that stuff is going on. But why are they all upset that Elon Musk is revealing it? Because they're being found out. And as long as they've been found out to be cheaters and liars, well, what does that do to their bottom line? Well, it doesn't make them look good, but they may lose their positions in Congress and therefore uh, access to monies and, and, and. Uh, so the love of money or is the root of all kinds of evil. It is not money that's the root of all kinds of evil. It's the love of it. Uh, so they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace uh, to the authorities, they brought them to the magistrates and said, these men, being Jews, okay, right off the bat, they know they're Jews, and they're exceedingly trouble, uh, they exceedingly trouble our city. Now notice, they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Now, can I tell you that technically this is a true statement? If you are a good Roman... There are all kinds of gods, but there's only one that's really important right now. That's the emperor, okay? And so for, to declare Jesus as the one and only uh, God, the Savior, and you need to worship him and him only, uh, that would be unlawful for Romans, which, of course, is one reason why as uh, Christianity made its mark in Rome, the Roman Empire, a lot of Christians were tossed into gladiator pits, uh, dressed up in animal skins, and given to dogs and wolves and lions and tigers and bears, oh my, uh, that kind of a thing. Uh, so that brings us to verses 22 through 24, the solution to the problem. And the mob joined in to attack uh, the attack against them. The chief magistrates stripped off their clothes, ordered them to be beaten with rods, after they had inflicted many blows on them, they threw them in jail, ordering the jailer to keep them securely guarded. Receiving such an order, he put them in the inner prison and secured their feet in the stocks. So the solution, oh, the outrage. Black Lives Matters, uh, anti-fascist, oh, the outrage. 
let's destroy a city. In this particular case, we weren't destroying cities. We're just beating up on a couple of guys that were religious in nature, not defending themselves, uh, that kind of thing. The multitude rose up together against them. The magistrates, they, they tore their clothes and they commanded them to be beaten with rods and then off to jail with them. So they throw them into the prison. They command the jailer, which we'll uh, be introduced here shortly to. But uh, knowing that he had some special prisoners, uh, they were trying to make an uh, example of them, uh, much like January 6th people. Uh, one pastor uh, was in Washington, D.C. for the rally. Uh, they had been down there. By the way, the breaking into the uh, uh, House of Representatives started happening about the time Trump was finishing his rally. And he told everybody to walk up there peacefully and let them know what they wanted. And it was, they were already breaking in. Well, breaking in. That's hard to say because the police were actually opening the gates and letting them in. But they did break some doors and windows and stuff like that. But uh, by the time they get up there, this one pastor and his son were there. And it's an older guy with his 35, 40-year-old son. Um, he had to go to the bathroom. And there was a police officer at the door. And they were letting people in and out and in and out. And so he went over and asked if he used the bathroom. Yeah, it's right over there. He was let in. And then two days later was visited by the FBI because he was a January 6th terrorist. Wow. <laughs> uh, but that, that's the kind of thing that what they did to those people, and some of them I'm sure were guilty of something, but I, I know they didn't get all the guilty ones. But they have lots of people that, I mean, most of the people they've got, they had him in solitary confinement for how long, that kind of stuff. That's the example we have here, okay? Um, we're going to make an example of these guys. So having received such charge, he put them into the inner prison, fastened their feet in the stocks. So not only do you have a locked door, but you're in stocks that are most likely attached to the ground, and your feet are locked into those stocks. So even if you could get up and walk around, it'd be kind of, Kind of like a penguin. And then, of course, could you get through the door, you'd kind of have to hop sideways. You know, uh, just really, you're not going anywhere. That's the idea. So that brings us to 25 through 34, <clears throat> adding to the church under persecution. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the jail were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains came loose. When the jailer woke up and saw the doors of the prison open, he drew his sword, was going to kill himself since he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul called out in a loud voice, don't harm yourself because all of us are here. Then the jailer called for the lights, uh, rushed in, uh, fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he escorted them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. When they spoke the message of the Lord to him along with everyone else in his house, he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. Right away he and all his family were baptized he brought them into his house, set a meal before them, and rejoiced because he had believed in uh, believed God with his entire household. So, uh, rejoicing in tribulation. Now, Paul says in Romans chapter five that he rejoiced in tribulation because he knew tribulation 
brought forth endurance, endurance, character, character, hope. And hope was not going to be ashamed because God had sprinkled uh, the love of God in his heart by the Holy Spirit. Um, Later on in chapter 8, he knows that through trials, he's being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. In James chapter 1, we have counted all joy when you fall into various trials. Now, I only repeat those verses because uh, what do we normally do when we're going through trials? Simple trials, not getting beat up. Okay? We, woe is me. Uh, you know, everybody hates me. Uh, nobody loves me. I'm going to eat some worms. We complain. We murmur, etc. And then we wonder why we don't get to see God do things. It is amazing how God works. Think with me for just a minute. After you're being filled with the Spirit, or you're letting uh, the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, what's the first result? Personal stuff. Okay? Speaking to yourselves, Psalms, hymns, uh, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, submitting yourselves one to another, being thankful for all things. And then, who does he talk to next? Wives. Why? Because they're such a problem. Why does he speak to wives first? Think about it. Who does he speak to first in each one of the sections? Always to the one that's in submission. Why? The one in submission doing what they're supposed to do can have more influence on the dingbat that's over them than vice versa. If the boss gets everything right, the underlings don't necessarily understand, well, maybe I ought to do that. But when a woman is submissive to her husband, who men are silly when it comes to relationships, okay? We're just not made the same way, okay? And so you women, you have your expectations. You never tell us what they are. You think we're going to read your mind. And uh, he's saying, ladies, submit unto your own husband. Yeah, but he can't even figure out what I'm thinking. Uh, I'm not sure how he's supposed to do that, but, you know, communicate. Uh, But uh, always talks to the one that's in submission first. You go look at Peter, does exactly the same thing. He starts out with the person that's in submission, then he deals with the boss, okay? After the husband, who does he talk to? Children, obey your parents. Dads, don't provoke your children to wrath. Slaves, you be the kind of slave you should be. Masters, you remember, you got a boss. Okay, in each case, he always deals with, and you know who complains the most when it comes to marriage counseling? Nope. Yes. They're complaining about their husband. Are you doing what you're supposed to be doing? Now, I'm only bringing that up because when you do it the way God says, go back to 1 Peter chapter 3, the wife is not supposed, if, if she can't convince her husband through the word, let her behavior, the Spirit of God living through her, do what's right, and God will take care of the husband. Okay? Now, that doesn't mean he's, the husband's doing anything right. It just means you do what you're supposed to be doing. Well, the same thing is true here. Under tribulation, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to rejoice in tribulation. So what's Paul doing? They are singing <laughs> and uh, praying, okay? Um, our proper response to persecution leaves the door open for God to work 
on our behalf. If we're complaining, now he's got to work on us. If you're not submitting because your husband's a dingbat, what does he have to do? Not work on your husband, work on you. If you're not submitting because your parents are dingbats, what's he got to do? He's got to work on you, not your parents. And it's as we submit ourselves to the Lord that he starts working on the other people. Well, the same thing is true here. Uh, It leaves the door open for God to work on our behalf instead of work on us. Number two, suddenly there's a great earthquake. The foundations of the prison are shaken. Immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were loose. Now, I don't know about you, but we understand why Paul and uh, Timothy would have sat there. But the rest of the guys, that's what I'd be saying, okay? But again, God is working on their behalf. And so they've seen the reality of Paul's faith, and somehow that influences them to stay there. Uh, That brings us the effect on others when we live the supernatural life, verses 27 and following. First of all, the keeper of the prison, awaking from his sleep. Now, uh, several years ago, we had an earthquake in this area, and I remember I was in bed, and I I felt everything shaken, and I got up, and I got underneath the closet uh, doorway, you know, and my wife's laying there, what's going on? It's kind of like, get over here, would you? <laughs> but uh, I don't think she ever did get up because by the time she was about to get up, the shaking was all gone. But uh, it woke this guy up, and uh, uh, it says that seeing the prison doors open. So apparently he's sleeping in the prison. He sees the doors are open, and immediate thought, everybody's left. What's going to happen tomorrow? They're going to bring me for a tribunal, and then they're going to cut my head off in front of everybody. Let's just end it now. That's his thinking. So he draws his sword. He's about to kill himself. Paul, understanding what might have been going through his mind, probably heard him out there, calls out with a loud, a loud voice, do not harm. Uh, do yourself no harm, for we are all here. How did Paul know they were all there? Again, someone could have left, but apparently... Again, he, he's living the supernatural life. God's letting him know. This is what you need to say. He says it. That's all there is to it. Number three, he called for a light. So go get a torch. He runs in. He falls down trembling before, before Paul and Silas. And he, he asks them to come out. And he says, what, what must I do to be saved? Uh, now, I want you to understand something. <coughs> Normally, where do most people live? Right here, right now. This guy was living here, right here, right now, saw the doors open, figured everybody was gone. He was going to be made an example of the next day, was going to take his life. But somehow, God gets his attention, and he knows there's more to it than just this. What do I need to do to be saved? Now, he's probably heard some of the preaching or whatever, uh, but uh, so he asks the question, and notice the answer. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, keep the law, get circumcised, and you will be saved and your whole household. Now, I know I threw a couple points in there, but I want you to see that as Jerusalem is meeting Rome, they're giving them what's necessary to have eternal life. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Now, Paul goes on to say, and your household. Once again, how many of you have unsaved family? I remember when I first got saved, I went home and I started telling every one of them, 
the gospel. I remember sitting with my sister, Kyla Bonnie, what's her name? Her name was Bonnie. And she didn't like it, so she had it changed when she became an adult, which no one in the family thought was a good idea, but who cares what we think? So her name is Kyla now. And uh, she's half African-American, half uh, Caucasian. And uh, so I'm sharing the gospel with her. And I mean, she grew up in the hippie days, okay? Her and Brenda were good hippies. And um, uh, I've got the little New Testament open, and I'm showing her the verses. And she takes my hands and closes the Bible. And of course, I've been to Bible college. I know all these verses, so I just keep on preaching to her. Um, and my, I, I go back for my second year of Bible college. Then I'm working at the Bible college. I meet Lynn. I bring Lynn home to meet my family. And my sister Brenda goes, wow, he's really mellowed out. The last time he was here, he was sending us all to hell. I'm kind of like, Wow. I wasn't sending anybody to hell. I was actually telling them how not to go there, you know. But uh, whole point being is uh, my whole household didn't get saved. What's going on with that? And what kind of testimony was I to my family in those early years? Or even in some later years? Uh, the reality is, is I'm not saying any of their lack of salvation is my fault. I am saying that... There was no discipleship per se. Yeah, I learned a lot of things, but uh, I'm not sure that I always lived Christ before them the way I should have. And I didn't have the kind of influence on them because I lived in upper state New York, uh, Arkansas, Kansas City, hardly ever got back there, still don't get back there. Um, But in this particular case, this guy, since salvation was at least something he was interested in, like Lydia, most likely he's already had some kind of influence on his family. And Paul's saying, look, you get saved. You live the way you're supposed to live. It's going to have an effect. And of course, it had an effect that night because they heard it themselves as we see. So believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You will be saved. That's all that was really important. And that brings us to the open door uh, in verse uh, 32 and following here. Uh, Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him. Notice, they didn't just give him the gospel. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. He took them the same hour of the night, washed their stripes. So uh, he's caring for their physical needs at this time. And immediately he and all of his family were baptized, uh, which is almost a strange thought to me. And the reason why I say that is in today's day and age, So many people make professions of faith that within a short period of time, is it even real? And again, maybe that's because discipleship needs to become more of an emphasis. But uh, when I first got saved, I was saved September 6, 1981. And uh, I kept on going to the pastor and saying, hey, when can I get baptized? When can I get baptized? Well, he was kind of worried because I was still going out dancing on Friday nights and stuff like that. Maybe I wasn't saved. He didn't want to put his stamp of approval on it. Uh, Here's a guy that's running a prison, and he gets saved, and boom, dunk him in the water. Okay, just something to think about there, okay? So um, now he brings them, uh, he sets food before them. He rejoiced, having believed in God with all of his household. So uh, some indications that he truly did have it. So that brings us to our last section here, verses 35 through 40. 
When daylight came, the chief magistrates sent the police to say, release those men. The jailer reported these words to Paul. The magistrates have sent orders for you to be released. So come now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they beat us in public without a trial, although we are Roman citizens. They threw us in jail, and now they're going to smuggle us out secretly? Certainly not. On the contrary, let them come themselves and escort us out. Then the police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid. Then they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, uh, so they came and apologized to them, escorted them out. They urged them to leave town. After leaving the jail, they came to Lydia's house, where they saw and encouraged the brothers and departed. How many have you, of you have seen the uh, request for COVID amnesty? Uh, the people that were saying we shouldn't be allowed to get transplants, we shouldn't be allowed to go to the doctors, we should be put in jail, those of us that did not get the vaccines and stuff like that, um, throughout the two years of COVID and vaccination process, uh, they have realized now, because now all of the data is out, that maybe they were a little rough. And they want us to forget the fact that they wanted to deny us our citizen rights and stuff like that. Uh, they, they, without saying, we're sorry, would you forgive us, we were wrong, they want us to pretend as though it didn't happen. COVID amnesty. Well, that's kind of what we have here. Again, why do I bring up the COVID amnesty? Not because any one of us uh, is worried about that. Uh, but Satan does not change his methodology just because it's 2,000 years later. He's using the same methodology. And when you're reading the Bible and you see American politics in the 21st century, you go, huh, okay? So uh, notice, method, uh, the methodology of the wrong. Get rid of the mistreated. J just get them out of here. So the keeper of the prison reported to Paul, saying these magistrates have sent to, to let you go. Now, therefore, depart in peace and go. Now, from the jailer's perspective, it's kind of like, I'm glad you guys have been released because I know there was going to be a trial and you might get in trouble. So, you know, you're free to go. That's all he's thinking. But notice how Paul responds to this. The advantage of Roman citizenship. But Paul said to them, I don't think so. Now, that's in the Greek. He goes on to say, they have beaten us openly, uncondemned Romans. They never even found out that they were Romans, okay? Uh, they've thrown us into prison, and now they put us out secretly. No way, Jose. Uh, it was the Mexican part of Philippi. Um, let them come themselves and get us out. And so the officers told these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. Now, whole point of Paul's citizenship here is if Paul had made some kind of a legal complaint to the legal system of the Roman Empire, the Roman army could have come down there, removed all the magistrates, given other people jobs, because... You're representatives of Rome, and here you are treating Roman citizens this way. Boy, it'd be nice if they still did that. Um, <laughs> my, my whole point is, notice Paul is using the legal system, okay? 
as Americans, we need to understand, somewhere in the rush, Romans 13 became the way to pacify all Christians. You just do whatever the government tells you. Now, we're not up to Romans 13 yet, but we're going to get there here in the next few weeks. And I want you to understand something. One of the advantages of being an American citizen is due process, though they've tried to eliminate all of that these last couple of years, uh, a court system, all those nurses and city workers in New York that were fired because they didn't get vaccinated. Yeah, it took a couple of years, but it went to court finally. And the judge said, hey, New York, unconstitutional. Not only do you have to rehire these people if they want to come back and work for you, but you have to give them back pay. Not just get their pay going again. All the time that they haven't been at work, you have to pay them for it. If they would have normally worked 40 hours, you've got to give them 40 hours a week pay for the whole how many ever months. See, once again, that whole patience thing with God, uh, it took a couple of years, but it's happening. The military that uh, were kicked out because they didn't get the vax, this week is supposed to be announced that they're going to hire them all back and probably give them back pay. Why? Because what they did was unconstitutional. We need to understand our, the advantages of being American citizens. I know they don't operate that way. Okay, informed consent. Not only do they have to tell you what's in the medication, they have to tell you the risks. Now, we use this emergency thing going on for the last two years, and uh, they, they delivered these things to the um, uh, drugstores with a piece of paper in it, blank. No risks, no ingredients, no nothing. And finally, they got sued, went to court, and the judge said, nope, you've got to turn over all the information now. Well, we want to do it over the next 75 years. No. Well, the first download of information, nine pages, over 2,000 adverse effects. Okay? Again, got to know what your rights are and take advantage of it and wait on God, which means being in prayer and stuff like that, uh, to bring all this kind of stuff to pass. But Paul took advantage of his Roman citizenship. And uh, we ought to understand how the, what the Constitution says, how the law works. Understand it's probably going to take some time. But the time is coming when we're going to need, uh, unless they change everything, we're going to need to be able to use the system against them because we're going to be like Paul and uh, Timothy here. So that brings us to the uh, request and the answer. So the, the big boys came. They plead with them and brought them out, asked them to depart from the city. But notice, they're, they're pleading. They're, they're asking. Uh, they're, they're not forcing their will upon them anymore. They're not tearing their clothes. Uh, oh, what a terrible thing happened. Uh, they are pleading. So they went out of the prison. And what do they do? They don't leave town right away. They go to the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them. So I'm, I'm saying they go to her house. She goes around and finds everybody, and they all come back. So they encouraged the brethren. And yes, they did ultimately depart the city at the request of the uh, leaders of the city. But uh, I, I want to encourage you, uh, when it comes to uh, Jerusalem meeting Rome, 
Here the church is becoming much more Gentile in nature. Uh, the truth doesn't change just because now a lot of Gentiles are there. Okay? As we move along in this study, we're going to see where sometimes the truth changed. Some, some, sometimes some man-made things got put in there. That kind of thing. And, uh, but the truth, the gospel, the idea of believing on the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved... That all stays the same. Circumcision? Yeah, that's a thing for the Jewish people. Sabbath? That's a thing for the Jewish people. If you go back and look at the Old Testament, the Sabbath was an everlasting covenant between God and Israel. Why is it the only commandment that's not repeated in the New Testament out of the ten? Because it's not necessarily for the church. Jewish people, they still have the Sabbath. Now, we do have a Sabbath rest as we walk in the Spirit. Should we have a day where we rest? The older I get, the more I say yes. <laughs> but um, our Sabbath rest is walking in the Spirit, ceasing from our own labors and doing the work of God. So things to think about as Jerusalem meets Rome and finds Babylon. We haven't found Babylon yet, but uh, we will find it.